will, please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and we will be reading verse 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who can even forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'd like to thank Winston for that reading this morning. Uh, this is going to be our study for the morning, and I hope that uh, you'll be blessed and benefited by being here. We're glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, I invite you to be back with us every opportunity that you have. We're very excited that you're here today. I want to start this morning by telling a story I read in preparation for this sermon. And there was an individual, his name's Andy, and he had a friend that called him and said, and he knew there's immediately there was a problem, uh, something was going on that was very serious as he got this call. He said, me and my fiance need to come over and talk to you and have a visit with you. So they came over to their house. They started visiting, and, and the gist of the conversation was this man, was an, uh, his name was Andy, and he said, I'm just not sure that I can marry Linda. He said they were engaged. It was his fiance, and he said, uh, you know, as I, as I go through this and I think about it more, you know, I, I just don't know if I can go through with this. So they, they talked for several hours about the problem, and the problem was, Andy had been what he thought himself to be a good person. You know, he obeyed the gospel at a young age. He went to a private Christian school. He'd really never done anything bad in his eyes. But his wife or his fiance at that time was, was really not the same case. She came to know Christ in college, and she was not one that had been good. Uh, she was not a virgin, and that was the problem. He didn't know if he could get past that. And as they discussed this situation further, as it went on, he said, look, uh, you know, she didn't even know Christ back at that time. You know, as she came to Christ, all her sins have been forgetting, her uh, forgiven, her debts have been washed away. And finally, uh, she with Linda with clenched teeth says, you really do think you're better than me. And something clicked in this man at that time, and he thought, you know, that's true. I've always thought I've been better than you. 
I've always thought I was good and you were the one that was bad. He said, but you know, as I think about that now, my pride is just as bad as your sins. My pride is, is just as bad as what you're going through, as what you've done. I'm just as guilty before God. So at that time, he came to this realization and clicked and everything changed. And they've been married for several years now. So as we prepare for the lesson, as we think about these things this morning, what is your view of sin? How do you view sin? I think it's very important that we think about what the Scripture says and what sin does, what it is in our life as we prepare and we talk about this section of Scripture this morning. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6, it says, But we are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. As we think about this verse, it tells us that we're all unclean. We're all impure. We're all filthy. We're all polluted. We're all defiled. And even our righteousness, our morality, the good things that are in me, my virtue, the very best things that are in my life, the very best qualities that are, I have are just like a filthy rag. I'm sold. I'm dirty. I'm in debt. I've got a debt that I cannot pay. You know, a lot of times as we think about our sin, we think in terms of a big sin and little sin or a little white lie or a huge lie, this big and little it's not a big deal, or maybe it is a big deal. It doesn't really matter sometimes, we might think. Maybe we think in terms of my sin, which never seems to be quite as big as your sin. You see, all these are different perspectives that we might have in our own life or in our own uh, way as we think about this. As we look at uh, Isaiah 64 and verse number 6, also it gives us this picture of a leaf, a leaf on a tree that dies and is just blown away by the wind. And that's what our sin does in our life. Our sin separates us. It just blows us away. It separates us from the branch, from the vine. And Jesus Christ is that vine and branch, isn't he? The Scriptures teach. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 2, it tells us that our sin separates us from God. It hides his face from us. It divides us. It separates us. We're no longer in uh, conjunction with him. We're no longer part of the vine and part of the branch because we've been separated by our sin. You see, that's what sin does to us. You know, often people will say, and I, I know we struggled with that when our kids were younger, and we had, I would ask our kids, well, are you the friend of God? Is God your friend? They would say, yeah. And I said, okay, well, you're fine then. <laughs> Everything's all right. It's till you become older and you come to this realization of what sin is and what your view of sin is and recognize that your sin has blown you away from God. You're no longer beside Him. You're no longer a part of Him because sin separates us from God. See, that's, our, that's the view of sin that the Bible portrays. It may not be the same as our view of sin, but when we come to the age of accountability and realization and understanding, hey, I'm, I'm not a friend of God. I'm His enemy. I'm a sinner. I need to make some changes in my life. In James chapter 2 and verse number 10, it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. I remember studying this with Jency when she was small, and she said, If you commit one sin, you're going to the bad place? <laughs> she was a little bitty. And I said, Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it works. <laughs> and uh, she said, And of course, again, she's a little bitty. She doesn't really understand until later on in life when she recognizes what sin does and how that separates us away from God and how that we are guilty 
There's a price that must be paid that God requires for sin. And that wage or that price is death. Jesus paid the price for us, thankfully. But there's things we've got to do on our part uh, to have that debt forgiven. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 17, it talks about the judgment. It talks about being at the righteous, our righteousness, whatever little bit of goodness and righteousness we have in our life, the righteous are scarcely saved. That scarcely means with a lot of work, with a lot of effort. Fortunately, Jesus has paid that debt. He's done most of the work and most of the effort. But look, if I continue to be ungodly and a sinner, and if I continue to be one that obeys not the gospel, what's going to be my outcome? We all know the answer to that, don't we? What about the sinful woman? In Luke chapter 7, verse number 36, as we first noticed it and how this man invited Jesus to his house, that's a very common practice or was a common practice of the day for a visiting rabbi or teacher to be invited to some prominent religious uh, person's home for a meal, maybe to discuss some things that uh, they were teaching and to learn more about that, to hear more about it. So that's the situation we're in. But in Luke chapter 37, we read about this woman. We read this morning about this woman, and she was a sinner. She was a notorious sinner in the city. People knew who she was. She was likely a prostitute. People knew her sins. They had seen her around town. They knew the, the difficulty and problems that, that she had had in her life. But this lady had come to the knowledge that Jesus had what she needed in her life. He had the ability to forgive her of her wrongs, to forgive her sins, the ability to save the lost, and she was very determined to see him. She brings an offering, a very expensive offering to God, this alabaster flask of ointment that we read about this morning. What a picture we have here of a very sorrowful heart, a sorrowful life that is seeking out Jesus. She had the humility and the courage to seek Jesus out, to find him, because she realized and knew that he had what she needed. He had love. He had forgiveness. It was her chance to start over, to begin again, that she might repent, that she might change, that she might be forgiven of those wrongs that she had done. We also have to humbly come to Christ and recognize and have the courage to come to Him. The Scriptures describe it in several different ways in many different places in the Scripture. But It talks about having a renewed heart, a renewed mind. It talks about our conversation, our manner of life in the way that we live changing our entire being, the way that we think, the way that we act, and the words that we say. It talks about no longer being a, a slave to sin, but now a, a servant of righteousness. Following after that, putting off the old sinful man and putting on the new man. So it's described in many different ways. Also, as we consider the actions of this woman, I, I find it interesting that this is the same picture that Jesus gives to his disciples of washing their feet. Remember in John chapter 13 and how he uh, put a towel around himself and he, he showed them that they ought to serve one another? He said, what I've done to you, I've showed you how to serve. I've given you an example that you should serve one another. His disciples were bickering over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he shows them this very humble and lowly task of washing one another's feet and teaching them that lesson. In Matthew 18, he, he talks about humbling yourself as a little child, becoming as a child, sharing and serving and loving others. But he that serves and is humble, he's the greatest. He's the one that's going to be great. 
in the kingdom of heaven, he says. You know, feet are gross. <laughs> feet are pretty nasty. I don't want people touching my feet, and I don't want to touch other people's feet, you know? It's kind of a lowly task, isn't it? And when I get down there, where am I at? I've humbled myself. I've gone all the way to the ground, as low as I can get. I've humbled myself in that model that he gives us of service, putting others before your own self. Let's look at uh, Simon the Pharisee's response. How does he respond to this woman? How does he respond to Jesus? We see that this thought that he has in his head, you know, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know this woman is a sinner. He would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. He wouldn't have anything to do with her. That's his thoughts. Simon questions Jesus being a prophet or being spiritual uh, because of his interaction with a sinful woman. And I believe that Simon's actions prove that he doesn't really believe. He doubted or he was very skeptical of Christ by the way that he treats him and by the way that he treats this woman. We'll talk some more about that in a little bit. You know, word travels fast. Even back in that day and time when there wasn't internet and all that, we, re we read in the Scriptures of how that uh, you know, word of Christ was spreading throughout the region, how he was performing miracles, how he was healing people, all the different things that were going on around his ministry and around his work and around people that he was with and interacted with. And I'm sure that Simon had heard about Jesus healing on the Sabbath day. And I'm sure just like the rest of the Pharisees, that irked him to no end. <laughs> he couldn't stand that. He had heard the Sermon on the Mount. He had heard all these different teachings and things that Jesus taught in His presence, I'm sure, about the woes to the scribes and Pharisees, how that they should love their enemies, how they should not judge others, how, how, how they should treat people, how they should receive His words. He that receives and does these words that He's speaking to him is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. But who, who doesn't receive His word and follow after these commands and teachings, he's like a foolish man. And a great fall is coming to him, to his house. So he's heard all these things, and I'm sure he's very skeptical and very doubtful about Jesus. You know, sometimes we're skeptical and doubtful. And I think about the times in, in your life or times that you may have doubted and may have thought, and, you, and probably just like the Pharisees, it's going to be paired with some type of pride, some type of prejudice at that time in my life that's causing me to doubt the authenticity of Jesus Christ. You know, there are several infallible proofs. There's several many biblical proofs and historical proofs, archaeological, scientific, all types of proofs that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And we don't have time to get into that this morning. But there are many proofs, and there's no doubt that He is the Messiah. You know, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, in His account of this similar story, the same story, it tells us that Simon is a leper. Simon, this Pharisee, is a leper. He had, it's interesting to see that under his roof, he has the one that can cure him of this dreaded, incurable disease of the day in the world. But likely, he doesn't believe Christ can heal him. He doesn't believe this guy can be a prophet because of his actions and what he's doing with a sinful woman here. So Jesus gives this parable of two debtors. I want to go ahead and take time to read this again. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? 
Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. So he tells this story about his creditor who had two debtors. And for illustration of uh, modern day numbers, I know these numbers aren't accurate. and I'm not proclaiming that they are. Just just say that one owed $500,000 and the other one owed 50 bucks. <laughs> That's the, the debt that these people paid. The amount of debt really doesn't matter because neither one of them had the means to pay back what they owed. Neither one of them could pay what they owed to this creditor. So without the grace and mercy of this moneylender, they were hopeless. They were helpless. And similar to the situation in this story, and that is uh, the situation regarding the sins of the entire world. It really doesn't matter the quality or quantity of our sin. None of us can pay the debt on our own. We can't pay what we owe. It doesn't matter if you sin once a day or 200 times a day. You can't pay the debt that is required for sin. It doesn't matter if your sins are little or big. It doesn't matter if you tell little white lies or there's bigger, heavier, weightier lies in your life. The quality or the quantity, it doesn't matter. You cannot pay or repay the debt that you owe. Fortunately, Jesus has done that for us if you allow him to do it. You know, one of the characteristics or attitudes that we see often as we study the scribes and Pharisees in the Scripture, they consider themselves the elite and the holy ones. They're the holy ones. Simon doesn't see himself as a sinner. He doesn't even see himself as this little $50 debtor, like in our illustration this morning. He doesn't see himself in that way. In 1 John chapter 1, and verse number 8, the Bible says, If any say he has no sin... He deceives himself, and the truth is not in him. We all have sin. We all have a debt we cannot pay like we sang this morning. In Luke chapter 18, there's a, a parable that you probably most of you are familiar with. That Jesus talks about the Pharisee and the publican as they go out to offer prayer to God. And you remember the Pharisee's prayer and how that he says, I, I thank you that I'm not like this guy <laughs> that's standing next to me here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I possess. I'm just a pretty good guy. And what happened to the publican? He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat upon him chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it says, the Bible says that this man went to his house justified rather than the Pharisee, rather than the religious man in the story. And you remember who he spoke that parable to? He spoke that to them that trusted in themselves that they were righteous but they despised other people. That's the heart that the Pharisee had. That's the heart that Simon had. So what is your perception of sin? Remember the story in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and it talks about this log <laughs> or beam that's in my eye. And it talks about the speck that's in my brother's eye, this little piece of dust, this little speck in his eye. And I'm trying to tell him as I've got this big log in my eye of how to get rid of his problem and his sin. And he said, Jesus said, you're a hypocrite if you do that. First, you need to get rid of your sin. You need to get rid of your problem before you can help someone else. So with this type of attitude, again, both of us are in debt, a debt that we cannot pay. So God has, has blessed us so much with an opportunity every week as we gather around this table. 
an opportunity as Christians that we, as we gather around the table weekly to remember how much grace and how much love and mercy that we have received that we didn't deserve. We deserve the price that Jesus paid for us. But He gave us grace and mercy and love. We can remember the debt and the gravity of our sin. And we're given that opportunity every week. I can examine myself and recognize I need to get this log out of my eye. I need to make some changes in my life as I examine myself so I can be forgiven of this, this debt that I owe. In the next section of the verses here that we have listed in verses 44 through 46, Jesus asked Simon a very interesting question. Do you see this woman? He said, see us out this woman? I'm sure Simon was trying to avoid eye contact with this lady at all costs. He couldn't stand to look at this sinful woman. She was no concern of his. She was just a nuisance. She was just in the way. She was dirty, disgusting, and beneath him. She's unworthy of his time and effort. She really doesn't matter at all. You see this better-than-you attitude that the Pharisees had or that Simon had on this day? As you think about what Simon saw when he looked at this woman, what did he see? These are things that came to my mind. He saw a prostitute. He saw someone who was unlovable, unforgivable, or unforgiven. She was lost. She was worthless. She was vile. She was sinful. She was one of those $500,000 sinners that we talked about in this parable. She had big sins. She had big problems. We see a huge difference in Jesus' response to this woman than Simon's or even his own apostles. In Matthew chapter 26, in the account of this story that we talked about earlier, um, Jesus talks about his, his disciples and how that they said, hey, why is this woman wasting this expensive flask of oil? This could have been sold and given to the poor, and a lot of people could have done good. This is just a waste. See their attitude toward the woman or toward what was going on there? They had the wrong attitude as well. Jesus' attitude versus theirs is much different, isn't it? His response. You know, we also see all these things that he did not do for Jesus. Simon didn't do these things as Jesus came into his home. He didn't give him any water for his feet. He didn't kiss him. These were all very customary things of the day. Most people that would have entered into Simon's home that he would have invited over, he would have done all these things for them. He would have shook their hand or hugged them, which is a kiss on the cheek. That was a common greeting of the day. He would have gave them water for their feet as they were walking down the dirty road in sandals and their feet were dirty. They could have washed their feet. He said, you haven't anointed my head with oil. He can give them a little olive oil, which was also a, a sign of hospitality and giving them that as he entered into his home and, and gave him that to cool himself off in the heat of the day. He didn't offer any of those things to him. He didn't care enough about him to offer that. He showed no love, care, compassion, concern for him. Jesus didn't just, he just didn't mean a whole lot to him probably at this time. Maybe he just saw Jesus as an obligation that he needed to check him out. Check out these things that he's heard about him. Check out these, these sayings, these, these uh, teaching that he's been doing. Maybe he needs to, maybe I need to put him in his place or just prove him to be false, prove him to be wrong. Perhaps that was the thought in Simon's heart. You know, with this type of attitude, in type of heart, 
The treatment of someone like Simon has treated this woman and, and frankly like he's treated Jesus. What does that do? Well, does that not just provide a stumbling block in their way? You know, as, as uh, his apostles were saying, oh, why this waste? Why did she do this? He said, don't trouble the lady. She's done this in preparation for my burial in Matthew chapter 26. She's done a good thing, and this will be a memorial to her throughout the days as this story is told. He said, don't trouble her. Don't put a stumbling block in her way. What could Simon have done for this woman? All he did was make her want to run off, I suppose. What about us as a congregation? What about us as an individual? Do we put a stumbling block in people's way, a way to them cause? we just cause them trouble? Are we helping them? Are we reaching out to them? He said, why do you judge your brother? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to answer, we're going to give an account of ourselves toward God and how we've treated others, how we've responded to others. We will answer for our poor attitude and our treatment of others. So, the message is consider yourself, Simon. Consider your sins. You better consider your own heart and your own life because she's acted and behaved much more righteously than you. The sinful woman, the one that you see as a sinful woman, we're all going to be held accountable. This woman came to Jesus looking for love and looking forgiveness, for forgiveness. I want you to consider the great blessings that this woman had received. She had great love. She had great faith. She had forgiveness, peace, a radical transformation. Repentance had taken place in her life. She was thankful and grateful. And he told her, your faith has saved you. Salvation came to her. Go in peace. She has peace in her life. Consider those great blessings. How her love versus the no love that Simon had showed. Can your love for Christ be seen by others? How about your perception? How about your love for Him? Can others see that? Those who have been forgiven much should love much. Extraordinary love for the, that the world might see, that God wants the world to see, where should that be shown? That should be shown in His church, among us. Starts with the family of God. The way that we love and react to each other will prove to the world that we are His disciples in John chapter 13, 34 through 35, excuse me. It says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one to another. As the world looks at us, it should see the gospel in us. It should see that uh, our love for each other helps a lost and dying world see the gospel in action. Why did this woman come to Jesus? Because she needed forgiveness. Because she needed love. And she desired that in her life. She realized that she needed these things. And she was so thankful and so grateful for the forgiveness that she received. A great picture for us to see. If we would all realize and remember what Christ has done for us. Thinking back to the cross. It should have been us hanging there, not him. He didn't do anything wrong, but we had a debt that we could not pay. He had a debt that he did not owe. <laughs> we did, and he paid it for us. Forgiveness and love should cause us to serve, 
to give, to offer up our lives. This woman brought an offering, something very expensive, something very valuable. I don't have anything to give. Jesus wants our life. He wants you to live as a living sacrifice for Him. Give your life to Him. As we consider this story this morning, what about you? What if you were at the scene this morning with this sinful woman, with Simon and with Jesus? What would your reaction be? You know, I suppose we all have a lot of preconceived ideas about different sins, about different things in life. Would you be one that says, I don't want anything to do with her? She might have a disease. I don't, I don't really want her touching me either. What, what would be our attitude? Simon has a heart full of hatred and full of wrath toward this woman. Would that be our reaction? Would that be our response? Simon's heart's not right. His heart's not right with God. Is your heart right with God? Hate the sin and not the sinner. He hated both. <laughs> with his realization of the magnitude of our forgiveness, of what we've been forgiven, all the sins that I've ever uh, committed, and I can be and are, am forgiven of that as a follower of Christ, we should obviously respond more like the woman in this story than Simon. But often, I react more like Simon. I suppose we all do. In this culture that we live in, of prosperity and riches that are all around us, it's real easy to get insulated from the least of these. Here in this story in Matthew chapter 25, you remember how Jesus, it's a, it's a time of judgment at the end of time, and how that Jesus sets the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And he tells the, those on the right hand, that come, you blessed of my Father, you'll inherit the kingdom. And he goes through these different lists of things that they have done. He said, look, you've, you've helped those, or you've helped me in time of need. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, etc." And he said, they said, we never saw you like this. What are you talking about? And he said, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So how do we treat one of the least of these? Like Simon, a lot of times we tend to look down on those that are sick or hungry in need or in prison, having difficulty in their life. And I've got to admit, sometimes it's, it's my gut reaction is I see someone, somebody holding a sign that I'm hungry. I'm like, well, you look pretty capable. Go, go get yourself a job. They're hiring all over town. Why don't you go get yourself a job and get you something to eat? Terrible attitude. Terrible heart. And I'm not saying we can reach out, we can help every one of these people, and we can... I've been burned before. You've probably been burned before, too, of helping someone. And they're just looking for a handout, and they're not really hungry. They're not really in need. They just don't want to work. We've all maybe had the wrong attitude about those that... Uh, maybe you've heard it said or said yourself, those that are on Medicaid or food stamps or whatever. You know, well, it must be nice for the government to buy you a steak and beer and cigarettes. must be nice. <laughs> See, we have a terrible attitude, mean-spirited and judgmental so many times. And look, I, I understand it's, we have prejudice because maybe we have been burned before. Or the abuse of these programs that are set up to help people in our nation. And a lot of times it doesn't. It just hurts in certain ways. But there are people that these services are set up for that are honest, that are really benefiting from the program that is set up as it is designed. And if I never reach out and I never try to help anyone, what's going to be Jesus' response to me? 
You didn't help anybody. You didn't reach out to the least of my brethren or the least of anyone, least of these. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10, it talks about as we have opportunity of doing good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. So doing good to one another here in this sanctuary this morning. Helping one another, help, loving one another, reaching out, whatever services and needs that you have, helping one another out. Have I not even done that? What's going to be my response? Forgive, love, and receive others as Christ has done these things for me. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32, Scripture says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you, showing that mercy and forgiveness to us. I came across a poll that uh, a, a preacher had taken. There's about 830 people that was in this poll, and there's a he was kind of associated with a book signing that he had. But there was 76 percent of people that considered themselves as progressive Christians and their reaction to Jesus' teaching of loving your enemies. And they saw that as, look, that's really injustice. That's unjust. It's not right. And that's just complying with that if you love your enemy. Those who are more conservative Christians and their, their view on that, well, that's immoral. It's an immoral thing to, to love our enemies, and that's just compromising with immorality. And the conclusion of this poll was, do you think that we might have a problem in our church or a Christian culture? And obviously, with those numbers, we do. Jesus loved the lost. He hung out with them. He ate with them. And that was a lot of the problem that the scribes and Pharisees had with them because they didn't want anything to do with these type of people. He answered their questions. He freed them from their sins. The question is this morning, do we love the lost? Do we reach out to them? Do we love those that don't know Christ yet? Will we teach them about Christ? That's our job. That's our duty as Christians. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you. I'll help you do it. Do we judgmentally look down our nose at people? Why do we expect them to act like Christians when they're not Christians? Why do lost people act lost? Because they're lost. They're lost. In their sin. Question is, are we acting like saved or forgiven people because we are forgiven? We should be acting that way, or do we act more like Simon, have more of that attitude? Do you become angrier at other people's sin more so than your own? Do you become angrier at the sins of the world or the sins in the mirror, the guy you're looking at in the mirror? Again, remove the speck or the log from your own eye before you can... Help your brother who has a small speck in his. Y'all, I'm very good at sinning. <laughs> we all are. We all fall short. We all sin. But Jesus is much greater at saving and forgiving. Have you become bitter and cynical and hardened and scarred by sin and by circumstances? Give it to Christ. Soften your heart. Give that up. Don't continue to be bitter and cynical and angry toward others and have this attitude like Simon does. His attitude, I want you to think about his attitude for a minute as we close. His attitude affected his ability to be cured of his dreaded disease. Because of his attitude, he didn't really believe in Christ. And as far as I know, he wasn't cured of his leprosy. 
It doesn't tell us that. He was this close, in the same room, this far away from him. Could have been cured of his disease, but his attitude kept him from it. His attitude ruined his faith. He had no faith in Christ. He doubted him. He was skeptical of him. What about his worship? Ruined his worship. He didn't worship the master. He didn't receive Jesus. He didn't even do the common courtesies of the day as the man entered his home. Think about your life this morning and how we treat others, how we receive others, our attitude, because all these things will affect us in every way. When I'm bitter, when I'm cynical, when I look down upon people, think I'm better than them, think I have no sin, that I don't have a sin problem in my life, it's all them and not me. It ruins our relationship with Christ. It ruins our worship. Put those things away. Put those things aside. Give it to God. If there's anything that the church could do for you this morning, if you wish to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to help you in any service that the church can offer you. Please come forward as we stand and sing together.